<laughs> Dory, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for singing, Dory. That was fun. And the emphasis was really good. I like that. Yes. Yes. Amen. Praise God. Well, okay. So let's ask God's blessing now. This time, Father, thank you for the time that we can come together and open your word. Thank you for the words of the song. Um, the fact that there is a hope that we are going to be with you one day. And uh, that is a, not just a wish, but it's a fact. If we know you, if we love you, and we just, we, we thank you so much for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for that hope, which we also are aware stands before Joni today. Um, we love her and we are not anxious to have her leave. And yet at the same time, she's going to a far better place. I've had people with Elaine many times say they're sorry about Elaine's passing. I always say, well, she's much better off now, and she is. And I just really thank you for the, your mercy and grace and your goodness to us. As we look at the book of Titus and, and kind of talk about a little bit about the things that uh, Paul is encouraging Titus to share with the, with the people about their relationship with you, I pray that you will speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that uh, my heart would be sensitive to what you have to say and uh, that the Lord Jesus really and truly would be exalted and lifted up that you would have your way with us. And uh, so we just, I want to commit this time to you and, and uh, commit our efforts to you and ask that you would use it in our lives to glorify the Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Titus chapter 3. If you want to turn over to Titus chapter 3. And uh, we're looking at the first eight verses. And these are a series of reminders that uh, Paul has been communicating to Titus to communicate to the people there. And the, Titus has given the commission of setting in order the things that uh, the churches in Crete, which is a pretty good sized island over 100 miles long at one point, and it's an area that there are a number of, of little settlements of believers, and uh, Titus is going around and kind of establishing leadership in these churches to help the churches function and uh, kind of keep them their feet on the solid rock, so to speak, in the path. And uh, so at this point, Paul is asking Titus to remind the people about some things. And we looked last time at the beginning of that, that he was supposed to remind them to be subject to rules and authorities by the way, um, this reminder here comes in a present tense, which means that this is something that is to be continually practiced. So uh, being subject to authorities is not just a one-time practice, but it's, it's an ongoing reality to be subject to those who are in authority over us, um, to be obedient as well. Um, we, we talked about that and uh, to be ready for every good deed. And as we enter into this area of good deeds uh, and maligning with our tongue and being peaceful and gentle and so on and so forth, I suggested to you last time that the good deeds or the doing good, these, this kind of terminology is used throughout many passages in the gospel to kind of 
summarize a Christian walk or Christian life that, uh, that when Jesus talked about doing good, it's, it's uh, being Christ-like and practicing good things. And so we're going to be sort of hovering over a few of these terms. And it's like a family of, of terms that describe a type of activity that should be communicated within the Christian family. And uh, I want to kind of stress that today because sometimes we get the idea that how we live is really our own business and it's nobody else's business. And it is God's business. If you're a believer, it matters a lot. And so we want to talk about that and we just want to, to uh, lay a little bit of a foundation as we go back. He started out there in the past talking about being subject to those in authority, rulers, and then to talk about being obedient, which is not just obedient to the rulers and authorities, but obedient to anybody that God has in his plan placed over us as an authority. Obedience is the, an indication that we're in submission to the Lord. That submission is an indication that we have submitted to him, that he is our Lord. Um, that's that is one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith is that we humble ourselves and we submit to the Lordship of Christ and he is our God and he is our savior and we submit to him. And it's really, really, really very important part. Uh, he says to be ready for every good. And this is where we kind of summarize the good deed, be ready for every good deed or every good work uh, to do good uh, and to be involved in doing good this Christian life. We're going to come back to these things. And then we looked at maligning no one, um, which of course involves the tongue, it involves using the tongue to slander, uh, connected with the word blaspheming. Uh, how we communicate what we say, what we do with our mouth, and how we communicate with one another and about each other is important. And uh, so these are all, this is, this is part of this same kind of a communication or package. Uh, and so the way we talk, the way we, the good works that we do, the deeds that we have, all of this is a reflection of our relationship with and our commitment to the Savior. Then he talks about being peaceful and we're gonna slow down at this point. Um, it's easy in our society, in our day to become uptight and uh, concerned about and angry about things that are going on around us. At least it is for me. My, my TV has been out for about a week and a half since that storm. And yesterday I got it working again. I haven't been watching the news very much. I haven't been watching it anyway, because uh, I thought that was interesting at the Bible study at the Ramble, that almost everybody there says, I'm just sick and tired of the news. I'm so tired of the news. I don't even like to watch it. It's just very discouraging and very depressing. And it's just, it's, uh, and I agree with that. I, I, I watch Fox News, which is more conservative, but even that, there's a lot on that. I just, it, it's very depressing in a way. You understand what I'm saying? And so um, it's easy to be uptight, concerned about, worried about, even upset about the things that are going on. To be peaceful uh, carries the idea of abstaining from, from being contentious or fighting. Um, MacArthur says, gives part of the definition is we are to be friendly, 
peaceful toward the lost uh, rather than quarrelsome, rather than being belligerent. You don't win people by being quarrelsome and belligerent like that. And usually when you get sort of get a quarrelsome attitude, you raise feathers and people put up barriers and you, you create more problems than you help. And so um, the word peaceful there is one of the uh, characteristics that Paul gives in 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 3 for, a lay, for an elder. He says in 1 Timothy 2, 3, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but here it is, gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. So that the, the, one of the characteristics of a leader, one of the characteristics of an elder is that we are to be um, not contentious, not uh, brazen or fighting, but be peaceful. Um, James, uh, I'm just trying to get a few verses that contain that word. James in James chapter three, when he's talking about uh, wisdom and being wise, James chapter three, verse 13, raises the question, who among you is wise? Now, to be wise is a way of describing somebody that is skillful uh, in godly living, taking the biblical principles and being able to apply them to the art of living. And uh, we can ignore those things, but to be uh, wise is to apply these things. Proverbs is filled with that. And so James says, who among you is wise? Who among you is skilled in God and living and understanding? Right? And he uses those two words. This is, this is not a detour, but it just kind of pulls together what we're talking about, about being peaceful and gentle and all these things together. He pulls together two words here, wise and understanding. Wise seems to deal with the theory first of all, of how to apply God to living. And understanding seems to pull that into a practical application so that he's talking about who among you is wise and understanding. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So here is this picture of being wise and understanding is not just something that is theoretical, but it's a result of being able to prove it, to demonstrate it in your life, to show it. And isn't that true that your life does in fact demonstrate what you believe about God and how you um, evaluate his moral standards for you, that that does in fact take a, a practical approach to how you live and what you do. And that's what he says here. He says, um, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the, I like this, this word, the gentleness of wisdom. Wisdom is not just something that's harsh, but it's a practical application that is gentle and yet very, it speaks very loudly. Let him show it in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter and selfish ambition, that is bitterness and strife. And what, what, uh, where does that come from? That comes from us wanting to take God's place before his throne. We want to put ourselves in the, in the driver's seat and do what we want to do rather than seeking to do it God's way. You understand what I'm saying? So it's, it's, um, 
it's a it's a it's a place where he's saying here that uh, this wisdom is going to be displayed in your life by your good behavior and your deeds. If you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. You have the truth. The truth is a standard. But if you're living contrary to that, you're lying in that sense. Your life is a lie against the truth that you're supposed to know. And so don't lie against the truth. This wisdom well, lack of wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly wisdom. It's a natural wisdom. It's demonic. Or where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But contrast, contrast to that, the wisdom that is from above is first pure wisdom. Then, and he uses his our word, his our word, peaceable. It is peaceable, it's not contentious, it's restorative, it's beneficial, it's remedial, it's curative. And he connects that also with the next word we're gonna look at and that is gentle. It is peaceful and gentle, reasonable, full of mercy. Full of mercy. Boy, we need that. This is, mercy is something that's kind of hard to find sometimes. Full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. So here's this, this word here that's in this list that Paul is giving Titus of things that should dominate your life. And one of them is peaceful, not contentious, uh, willing to give in, to, to be humble in one sense. The next word that he uses is the word gentle. It has the idea of fitting, being appropriate, um, being suitable. Uh, being proper, to be lenient, being yielding, um, unassertive. Um, John MacArthur says it always gives others the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if we do that very readily or not, but that's what it talks about. The Amplified Bible translates this word uh, unselfishness or gentleness. He translates it, your considerateness, your forbearing spirit to abstain from rash, rash and controversial actions or issues. And so this is a, this idea of being gentle, unselfish, um, not being uh, demanding. That's, that's a good, that's a good trait as well. You see what I'm saying? Taking all these words that kind of in this same area that he's listing and they all deal with a, a gentle spirit and the question that I'm asking myself is, why are we having to do this? What is it that makes these things so important to us? He goes on with, in Philippians talking about gentleness, just to give another verse where that word is used. Paul says in Philippians uh, 4, 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. So your spirit, let your gentle spirit be seen, be known, let it be obvious that you're spirit, that you are a gentle person. Um, Peter uses the word to describe the good behavior of slave owners to those uh, in First Peter chapter two, verse eighteen. It says, "Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good, which, by the way, is the word we used earlier for good deeds, but also to those who are gentle." That's our word. He says there to, to servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, 
not only those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. So if you have a, a slave owner who's good and gentle, that's that that's the word. That's the word not being contentious, not being um unreasonable. It's 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 actually part of the fruit of the spirit uh, that, that we are to have this kind of gentle spirit, this gentleness. It's the, it's the work of the spirit that the, work, the spirit produces in us. It's part of that, that relationship with the Lord. Colossians 1.10, which is a good verse if you, if you uh, have your Bibles and can turn over to it. Colossians 1.10, um, Paul writes, so that you will walk, watch this, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that is, walk in a manner that is consistent with the Lord. This is this is sort of bringing into focus a little bit about why we should be doing these things. We are to be walking in a manner that is consistent with and worthy of the Lord. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Walk in a manner that is worthy of or consistent with the Lord to please him. Hmm. That's a pretty strong statement to, to walk in a manner that is consistent with the Lord, to walk in a manner that you want to please him. One of my ongoing requests that I pray to the Lord frequently, and I'm sure that you do the same, is that I'm asking the Lord to help me love him and to really serve him because I find in my life, honestly, that I'm ending up serving myself more than, than, than I should. And it bothers me. And I want to please him. I want my life to honor him. And so that's an ongoing request. And, it, and you can pray that for me as well, that my life would be committed to seeking to pre please him. Um, that's what he says here. This right. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him. He is, I don't know if I'd say, well, maybe I could say that he is the goal. What the church in Ephesus struggle with losing their first love? I don't want to do that. I know you don't want to do that. So here he is. He says, walk in a manner that's consistent, pleasing him in all respects. Watch this. Bearing fruit in every good work. There's that fruit of the spirit. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God, not only by studying the Bible, <laughs> but by practicing it and obeying it. It doesn't come just by reading it comes by reading and applying the knowledge the word of god to get a grasp of sound doctrine of sin of the seriousness of obedience and that word knowledge by the way is the word for epignosis which is a full knowledge or an experiential knowledge um, we talk about the word and we we try to make it clear that it isn't just a magic formula and yet at the same time, we have to be in it. If we're not in it, it won't do us any good. And uh, sometimes we can go to it with a bad motive and God can use it anyway in our lives. The key, as I see it here, is the condition not of the word, but the heart that comes to the word. That's the, that's the whole story of the parable of the sower, where you have the gospel being sown in four kinds of soils. Some of them bear fruit, some of them do not. The problem is not with the, the seed, the problem is with the heart, the condition of the heart, the people that receive it. And that's true with us as well. So here, in this passage here, we want to bear fruit um, of every good work. And part of that is being gentle 
kind and reasonable. And then lastly in that list, uh, he says, showing every consideration for all men. And yes, I'm going real slow through these because I'm just trying to, to get a grasp of what he's talking about. Uh, he talks about showing, he's talking about demonstrating every consideration. Uh, that's what Paul translates that word in Romans 9:17, where he says, the scripture says, to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raise you up to demonstrate, use that word, to demonstrate my power in you. Romans 9, 22, what God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known. Again, that word is the same word is translated demonstrate. Uh, in Ephesians 2, 7, throughout the ages to come, he might show or demonstrate the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us so that this passage here is talking about um, showing or demonstrating every consideration for all men. And you say, well, what do you mean by every consideration? Well, the word every consideration is translated there to be translated gentleness, humility, meekness, same, almost the same thing as we've been looking at with gentleness and peacefulness, these things, these all kind of part of the same family of the words that are used together. And here he says, uh, the word, Paul translates it in 2 Corinthians 10.1, the same word, I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness, and that's the same word, he, he translates consideration, meekness. So we could say demonstrating every meekness for all men would be an accurate translation. The word gentleness there coming uh, related to the same word of gentle that we looked at, um, the gentleness of Christ, I who am weak, I who am meek face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. This is Paul. Paul is talking about this and he's using the word meekness there, which is translated from the word that we use consideration. Uh, he, uh, James translates it humility. James said, James 1.21, therefore putting aside filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in, here it is, humility, same word as consideration, humility received the word implanted. James 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Notice over and over again, he talks about demonstrating by showing, uh, let these things mark your life, it's important. And so I got one more verse and then I'm gonna stop. Uh, the verse is a lengthy verse. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to slow down because I want to ask the question of these things that we've been going through, gentleness, uh, peacefulness, meekness, um, watching what you say, don't be too assertive than that, all these things that are kind of grouped together that some of them talk about good deeds are used to describe the Christian life. Um, I want to ask the question, why these things, what is there, what's the reason, why is this a big deal? Why is this, why does this matter, how we live, what we're doing, why, why is this thing? And I think Peter, in this passage here, in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, sort of answers that question. And I'm going to pull out of this verse just a couple of words. I want, first of all, to start out with the the phrase at the beginning of verse 9, but you are, and he's talking about believers, and he's describing what they are, 
And then he goes on to say, but what you were, what you are, what you uh, are not, so on and so forth. He describes them. So let me read that to you, and we'll just read it kind of slow. And he starts out by, you are chosen race. And that's a, that's a, just a way of not just talking about the individual, but the, the entire group of believers. We are a chosen race. Chosen by who? We're chosen by God. We are his property. We're chosen race. He goes on to say, we are a kingly or royal priesthood. Priest is a person that uh, can go before God on behalf of people. And we are a, a, royal, a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood that we can go be, before the Lord on behalf of people, which you should do that. And then thirdly, we are a holy or separate nation. He goes on to say, a people for God's own property or God's own possession. That's used, by the way, that phrase, God's own possession, is taken back from Exodus 19.5. Uh, does anybody have Exodus 19.5? If you could read it, I, I didn't turn to it. Uh, read it out loud. This is when the children of Israel were gathered up on the, in the wilderness. Exodus 19.5. You got it? Okay, now when it, he, I, notice what he says. Um, now then, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you should be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. All right, that's taken from that passage. He's buying it here in the church, Peter is, and he's saying we are God's holy nation. We are God's chosen people chosen by him you see that so this is a that's a high privilege in a way um that you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for god's own possession why so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him all right now do you see this the excellencies of our savior the greatness of our master the greatness of our lord will be proclaimed as we are his people and are demonstrating him to those around us. Um, so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. We're looking at darkness and light Sunday morning on the gospel in the gospel of John. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. A good illustration was like you used this morning with my kitchen where the, the light was real dim and the, you can't see all the, the, the dirt on the floor and stuff where the kid is up. I, I put the, the dry food, George jumps over me about it. I put the dry food on the floor and they can't see it right off the floor. And um, they, they like it better that way. Anyway, so, uh, but when you turn that, when I went in this morning, turned the light on, it was just like, a, it was almost like heaven opened up and the lights came on and you could see the stuff on the floor and it was interesting. But anyway, <laughs> he's, he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once, <laughs> Before, we're not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Aren't you glad? Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Now, here we are. We're living in a hostile world, 
Um, we are not part of the world. We are alien and strangers to this world system. Jesus said in the high priestly prayer in John 17 that uh, the world's going to hate you because you're not of this world. That, that sets you up as being almost against the world in one sense because you're not of it. There is a sense in which I guess we make them feel guilty or whatever if we are in fact living as we ought to live for the Lord. And that's why this is important because it is a testimony to the world. Um, he says, I urge you then as aliens and strangers living in a hostile world, that's what I added, to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. And, and uh, guys, I struggle with lust. I don't know about you, but I do. I know what it's like. And that's a battle. That's a warfare. And abstain from that and keep your behavior excellent among Gentiles, among the unbelievers, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may become, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. They see your life, they see your commitment, they see your obedience, they see your love for the Savior. They see these things, these gentleness, these attitudes, they see them in your life, and it speaks to them of the greatness of your God. That's why this is important. Um, he says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to king as to one in authority or to governor as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God by doing right. You may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free, that is in your freedom, do not let your freedom be used as license. Act as free, freedom, free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. But, as, but use it as bond slaves of God. We are free. We are bond slaves of God. And, and we talked about this last time about being a slave. You're a slave to what you obey. And that's true. And so um, we want to be obedient to the Lord. We want to be a bond slave to God so that his obedience to him and the display of his mercy, his grace, his goodness through us is displayed in that enslavement to him and that surrender to him and speaks to the world of our commitment to the Lord. It does. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only for those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable for this man's favor, for the sake of conscience toward God. A person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. What credit is it is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, patient, suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Watch this. Well, you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. What about him? He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he suffered no threats. All of these are words about a gentle, harsh, being peaceful. All of these things relate to these things. He suffered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself, 
not being contentious, but contrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, which, by the way, we talked this morning. I thought it was a good point that, that Jesus is glorified more in the cross. That's where his glory is manifested. That's where he's magnified, and that's very true. And so uh, he bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Bible, throughout the Bible talks about being crucified with Christ, crucified with the world. That means we die to self and we live to him. By his wounds, you were healed, for you were continually straying as sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. We were continually straying. We were continually going astray. Uh, sometimes I think we still do that a bit. We kind of get our eyes on the other side of the fence. The grass looks greener over there. And uh, it's, it, we shouldn't. But, uh, and I'm the worst for that. But God is merciful and gracious. So why are these things important? Because they glorify the Savior. They speak of the Lord. They are. They demonstrate that we are his people. And the world watches us. And they see his, hopefully, his righteousness, his holiness, his commitment, his peace, his goodness manifested to us. And it speaks to them again. That's why it's important. It's really very important. The next one is we're going to be, Paul is going to be talking about the um, Remember the, to recall your past. So we're going to have to do that next time because there's a list of things there. And the list that he goes in is kind of a gory list talking about being foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. I want to get into that a little bit. So, anyway, um, this is important. These are really important. These are things. And why am I going over this with you? I'm going over this with you because it's in the text, yes but because it's right where I am. I struggle with this. It's just right. I, I know what it's like to go through this battle and to struggle with these things. And uh, the Bible says, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Do one loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I know what that's like. The Bible talks about such affection on things above and not on the earth. And I know what that's like. And so this is just, this is a real battle. And I want my life to honor the Savior. I want my heart to be concerned for honoring the Savior. I want my life to do that. And I find it's easy, it's easy to be distracted. Um, I got my, my TV going yesterday, primarily so that I can watch Alabama football next weekend. <laughs> but it's easy for that to be a distraction. That's that's really not a big priority. Did you say something? Yeah. So anyway. Anyway. Um, that's not the big game, by the way, next weekend. But you know, <laughs> let's close in prayer. <laughs> Lord, you're so merciful and gracious to us, and I, I do pray from my heart that you would help me to, to really love you most of all, and help us as we look at these things that have been sort of scattered out in front of us. It's kind of a, almost like a hodgepodge of things, but they all reflect on our walk with you and how we treat those around us and what we say. And in that sense, they are little manifestations of the greatness of our Savior. Help us to be faithful in these things as we, as we go through this list. Help us to be faithful to articulate 
to the people around us what it's like to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all our hearts. Help us to be faithful in walking with you and putting affection or guard on the affections of our hearts. And to help us to love you more than anything else in the world. And uh, pray for those that we come in contact with, whether it be at work, like in my case, or whether it be at home, or whether it be our neighbors, or whatever. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful in these things because it's really, it really matters. And it's a very important issue. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving. Amen.